Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Josh Brown, we're both sick, ill, disgusting human beings trying to mop up various collectibles in video games that no one needs to get ever in Dude. life. Put me away, please. Fishing tokens. Lock me up, because over the past <laughs> week, man, all I have done is watch the World Cup and try to get the camo challenges in Call of Duty Modern yep. Warfare 2. It's been sick. My girlfriend's been away. I've had no <laughs> meals. It's mostly just been Pringles for tea. <laughs> no it's been a it's been a nightmare hellscape that oh. I've not experienced since my university days. But, but he's I've having a lot been of fun. Enjoying it. I am. The World Cup's been good. Call of Duty's been good. Pringles, as we know, really good. They're so. pretty good. We're not sponsored by Pringles, but I will also endorse them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they also go alongside uh, trying to mop up all of Sonic Frontier's various collectibles to try and get the trophy, uh, the Platinum. I'm rambling on about stuff. To be honest, we have a lot of things to get through on this podcast. You we wanna... do, but you know yeah. what? We've not done one of these in a while. No. We did one, of course, we had an episode go out last week that mm. was the big spoiler cast for God of War Ragnarok. Yes. But we actually recorded that to let you guys in on a secret. Mm. The Friday prior, because I, I was away last week, because the England match was on. A pre-wind, So it was say. a pre-wind. So now we're back. We've got some news to talk about. We've got some games to talk talk about. Mm. It's a classic vintage episode <laughs> of the wind-up, some would say, Scott Hill. It is. It's the most mainline thing you could do. So we're going to do a, a bunch of games that we've all been, that we've all, both of us have been playing, and we've got some news headlines. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on with Splinter Cell. I'm going to give you a little Pokemon quiz yeah, you are. while we go, because we're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to talk about playing Pokemon Violet um, as well. And then, if we have time, we're going to run down the remaining stuff that's in December, because December's games are ridiculous. There's just some stupid stuff going on, and I just need to talk about how stupid it is. Um, but that's all to come. In terms of games that we're playing, I'm going to open on Evil West, um, yes. a game that is absolutely gorgeous, um, made by uh, Flying Wild Hog Studios, um, and just just such a throwback. And the reason I want to touch on this is that I think it absolutely nails the whole idea of trying to be a really good 8 out of 10 game, maybe even a 7 out of 10 game, because the story is not what you're there for, and there's no deep thematics, there's nothing. There's nothing other than big, overblown, kebab-legged, Gears of War-style <laughs> characters in a western shooting a bunch of zombies and vampires and demons, and the whole idea of, you know, this. it's almost like the Order 1886, where okay. this whole idea of back in day, there was a whole bunch of people looking after, you know, like all the demons, all the different things that were bubbling away below the surface, and the average person doesn't know about it as long as these guys do their job, and that's just what Evil West is. It's a bunch of overblown, oversized, inflatable cowboys taking on the vampires, and it's pretty bloody beautiful. Which is what I want, Scott, and yeah. if it wasn't £50, I would have bought that <laughs> right this second, because that kind of, like you said older school, mm. more double A, I think you could say, kind of style of game design mm. that is now outdated. I could just go for some of that, go well, for some mindless fun. Yes, and that's the whole thing, is the response to this in the reviews was just hilarious. Like, I saw some people, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, oh my god, it's it's exceptional, because it knows exactly what it's going for, and other people going, it's outdated. It's I can't, We haven't seen a game like this since 2007, 2008, and um, the likes of, you know, Dark Sector, or A Wet, or whatever you want to say. All the games that came out of Gears of War, and um, that idea of just overshoulder the cameras, maybe sort of one cool combat mechanic, and then building a few different combat arenas around that. And it's one of those games where as soon as you dive into Evil West, you kind of remember what it was like, what the cinematography of those games was like, like the way yeah. they show you enemies arriving, the way they show you a, lo a door just got locked, you know, there's a demon head over it, and now you've got to defeat all these dudes to progress. Um, and just like the idea of, you know, just something being this immediate. Um, the thing that threw me for a loop in terms of the gameplay is that it's actually way more melee-based than I thought, because um, you do have um, pretty much like dedicated buttons for each thing, so it's like the pistol 
is always on the right trigger. You can press it singly or you can hold it for like a flurry. You can fan the hammer on the pistol. Um, there's like a dedicated shotgun button. There's a dedicated punch button. Um, you can combine all these things together in really satisfying ways. And there's a lot of environmental stuff as well. So if you want to launch a dude in the air and then jump up after him I do. and punch him across the room so I that do. he explodes in the corner because there's always explodable red barrels everywhere, which I've missed, to be honest. I remember the red barrel era um, where we would complain about red barrels being everywhere because they've been gone for a while. I was quite glad to see them back. Well, this is my question, Scott. You mentioned mm. there some of the reviews pointing out that, you know, this is an intentionally old school game. Yeah. And whilst I do enjoy an old school retro romp now and again, <laughs> um, is it really... I hate that the 360 is retro. Like, <laughs> Where is the joke? 2008's forever ago. Old geezers. Horrific. Um, will this game be for everyone? Because those mm. games went out of fashion for a reason. And if you're asking more or less full price for a game in that style... Mm. Uh, like the games that you mentioned there, Wet, Dark Sector, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Like, would you recommend this to everyone, or is it someone who just kind of wants to scratch that itch from a from an era that is now a bygone era? That's the thing. I, I, I don't like thinking of it as something that is fundamentally outdated or fundamentally not, you know, available to new people anymore. Like, why can't we have this as a viable style for a video game or a viable, you know, presentation or whatever it is? Like, not everything in the AAA space or the, the upper echelon of pricing needs to be a god of war or have something that is sort of, like, slower and more contemplative and has thematics and whatever like this is a whole style of video game and I feel like across the last 10 years um, that idea of you know late 80s early 90s 2D platformers or 2D games 2D art styles came back as just a viable part of gaming and I feel like this is a really good one of them of just saying like, hey this can be part of the conversation too because um, it's extremely well done like yeah. it's not like it feels old it feels really responsive it runs beautifully it looks gorgeous like it looks ridiculous it does. good um, you know and it, it keeps up very much in regards to the combat model I mean I went from God of War Ragnarok to Evil West um, and it very much keeps up. Like, obviously, God of War has more to it. Um, but still, I feel like this is just a nice way of sort of flying the flag for old school games. Again, it's old school. That's, that's like, why can't it just be modern? I feel like we got there with pixel stuff. We don't refer to pixel platforms as old school anymore. That's They're true. just part yeah. of gaming. Um, and I feel like this should be. The, the, we refer to it as the 360 era because it was the big years of war boom. Yeah. But why not have those mid-tier, double-A, whatever you want to call them, games as just part of gaming? I guess, for me, I think it's totally valid to have those games, and I want to see that style of mm. game make a comeback. Having not played it, the barrier for me is the, the price. £50 yeah, price totally. point because, you know, I liked Wet, I liked Dark Sector, <laughs> but I, if I paid full price for those games back in the day, I'd have been disappointed. Mm. And I think it's a lot to ask... Uh, it's a lot to ask from a money perspective when you're making something that is so kind of indebted to game design that is maybe necessarily feeling a bit creaky, even if they have, no, like true. you said, managed yeah. to update the combat model to make that at least immediate and satisfying. For me, if this was a game that was on, you know, Game Pass or something like that, I would have definitely jumped in. Mm. But yeah, to me, the only barrier here is a price point, is, is the price point. It's interesting because I think that whole idea of like when price points went up, obviously they changed just in terms of economics over time, but like that's still, that idea of, you know, the £70 price point, the PlayStation exclusive, the third party, the, the, the real high end of gaming being like £70 or $70 or more, um, that just kind of happened across the, the eighth generation. It was just one of those things where I know older games were expensive for a while. It, it sort of ebbs and flows. But that general idea of, you know, we're moving towards heavier thematics, we're moving towards greater production values and that having the price tag on it. And um, like looking at God of War and being like, this looks like a 70 pound game or something. Yeah. Um, Evil West, if you just compared screenshots, I think looks looks that good. Like looks incredible. Um, but yeah, it is interesting because once you start playing it, you remember how uh, gameplay loop reliant those old games were, where it's like you're having fun with a certain set of gameplay loops, especially the combat. It's gory as hell and really over the top. Nice. Very like I said, it's very immediate. That's kind of what they're going for. Um, but yeah, whether you would then identify that as like, I'm kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again. Like they're, they're giving you new abilities, but it's not like you're advancing a story or anything. There is a story here, but it's very little. And that's interesting, man, because again, I've not played this specific version, but mm. I've played games that have attempted to do what this seems to be doing, mm -hmm. you know, this year, like your Shadow Warrior 3s, like yes. even your Proteus. Or Proteus to totally, yeah. Yeah, you know, where I've like jumped into these games and I've had a good time, but I played Shadow Warrior 3 on PlayStation Plus and mm. if I paid you know £30 or £40 whatever that retail for initially mm. I'd have maybe been disappointed because there is a level of repetition inherent to that kind of throwback yeah. style that maybe might leave you feeling shortchanged so I, I love that this game exists I Same. love that people are having a fun time with it my only question would be the the viability of those styles of games in the current market because mm. I totally agree not everything has to be a PlayStation level budgeted £70 game <laughs> but 
do you need to offer something else to kind of you know still appeal to players within that lower down bracket? Because I think to it's me, it is a little bit it's a bit too pricey. And not just Evil West. I mean, like the entire kind of subgenre that, that's mm. emerging from those titles. Yeah, man, and it's interesting as well because obviously right now there are so many games that we're just trying to like mop up for Game of the Air discussions, or just in general, it's like okay, twenty twenty two is coming to an end. What have I missed across the year? Um, and Evil West, as much as I love playing it, and I've put a, put a, put a good few hours into it, it has such a threadbare nothing story yeah. that it, I find it not, it doesn't stick with me in that way. Like, it's, it's cool, you play as a bunch of dudes, this family called the Rentier Estate, and they're the people who have the really cool cyberpunk or steampunk weapons, taking all the demons. That's great on paper, but there's not there's not much going on story-wise um, to actually make me go, I can't wait to see what happens next. I know what happens next. It's what, I, what I've been doing for two hours at this point. Right, yeah. Um, you know, it's more of that. And they're going to give me more abilities and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good window into um, what that style of game would look like or does look like if you bring it back as just a staple of gaming. And I want this style to exist. I, I don't like, you know, that whole boom that we had of cover shooters that were from Gears of War. And there's that whole thing where if a cover system is that almost robotic at this stage, that feels quite outdated. You should do something with that if you're going to yeah. do a new cover shooter. Um, but you could the cover shooters could be a whole genre. Like there's a whole way to do them. And so, yeah, something like this, it, uh, it reminded me a lot of Dark Sector um, and a lot of like sort of 2007, 2008 uh, action games, which I just miss. I miss that whole era. Um, and if you want something incredibly immediate, I think Evil West absolutely smashes it. Um, you've been playing Inscription, which is one of the games, uh, one of the year's best reviewed games. This is it, right? Because I'm, um, I'm truthfully, Scott, I'm mm. winding down for the year. Yes. I'm still not entirely sure whether I'm going to get Callisto Protocol because oh. whilst I am really excited for that game, Yes. You know, it's getting towards the end of the year. It's December. The World Cup is on. The World on. Cup's on. Will I have a chance to uh, fit this game? I'm really looking forward to in and around the other stuff that I'm doing. I'm not sure, so mm. I might save that for January. Inscription, though, there midnight, is something you absolutely will. You were looking at, uh, if I recall... Uh, a £230 collector's edition. There yes, we go. I want all of the Callisto stuff. You were eyeing that up earlier on. Let in me put the Callisto podcast on. <laughs> there literally is one, by the way. If anyone's a Callisto fan, there's an audio podcast book thing there that's going to go into the game. I'm going to listen to that on my lunch break. Carry on. Absolutely. Absolutely, but Inscription is a game that I've put off for far too long. Since that mm. came to PlayStation earlier this year, I've been wanting to play it, and I've just found excuse after excuse to not play it, because on paper, <laughs> this actually isn't my style of game at all. Mm. One, it's a roguelike, and I don't really have a big history with roguelikes apart from the one that I love, Returnal. Yes. The rest I've enjoyed <laughs> to an extent. I really liked Hades, but they've never been my genre. Mm. That, combined with this also being a deck builder game, it's like two subgenres that on paper are not my thing. But it's been getting all of these rave reviews. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, apparently really subversive and it's entrenched in the horror genre, of course. So I finally bought it last night, played 2.5 hours of it, <laughs> and missed my bedtime, and... Good got to the point where I'm just thinking now I can't wait to go back and have another run on this game because considering their genres I don't normally mess with, mm. they've managed to get their hooks into me with this experience so far. There's something about like the aesthetic of the game, you know, mm. it's this kind of weird... Like old school PS, almost PS1 looking character models and stuff. It almost is, you know, it's very indebted to that kind of retro style of horror mm. and the idea that you don't really know what's going on, like you wake up, you're forced to play this card game with this weird entity who starts cheating, who starts, yeah. you know, killing you, locking you in certain rooms. It's like a night at Jules' house. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Just um, deals them out, there you go. There you you want to leave, You me. can't leave, God. Yeah. You're forever, you got all these freaky masks. It's like, Jules, <laughs> did you handcraft these? Um, yeah, uh, in like that sort of subversive side of the game, though, is kind of what's um, really, really hooking me because I want to know more about the story. I want to know more mm. about the setting. I want to know more about how it's going to subvert my expectations in the actual gameplay. But I must say that core gameplay itself, you know, building your deck mm. with each run every time you die, trying to maximize the stats of the cards that you pick up and hopefully build something that can beat the bosses. Like that is a kind of pure gameplay loop mm -hmm. has done enough to engage me, which is surprising considering, like I said, I don't really have a history with this genre. And sometimes if people try to sit me down and explain the rules to of a card game to me, I will cry. So. <laughs> yeah, we try to get you into Magic the Gathering. You, no, don't, no. Don't want any of that. Um, which is, that's, all of this is hilarious because I should have loved Inscription. And it's not that I don't necessarily, but the, the time that I played with it, I don't know if it's because they sort of, they roll out the tutorial quite slowly. They have a mix of things going on where you can get up off your, you, you play as an individual, like a character. You can get up off the chair and walk around the room that you're in, and there's more going on than just playing this entity at cards. Um, and even then, you're sort of playing them at this like specific sort of scenario instance-based cards, where they're sort of dealing you a certain set. I know the changes over time. 
And um, they're sort of giving you a certain set of cards. You have a certain one, amount of uh, cards that you're playing with. And it's like, okay, beat them in two moves or beat them in three or whatever it is. Um, as opposed to, uh, you know, building an entire deck from the start, like something like a Hearthstone might do. Um, and I should love this because I love card-based games and I, I love deck builders and stuff. Um, it was just something where I felt like they were going for so many things at once. And I was like, is this a first-person horror? Is this a card game? Um, it's quite atmospheric. It's a little bit quirky. There's like a talking weasel thing. And yeah. I was like, I just kind of bounced off it. And I was just like, I, I can't latch on to any one of these things. Um, you're not nailing the horror stuff. You're not nailing the deck builder stuff. Um, and I just bounced off it. And it was like, I really want to get through Inscription. It came out last year on PC, this year on consoles. So it is in the running for Game of the Air conversations, at least at whatculture.com <laughs> in, uh, at Game Awards. And uh, and we'll, so you know, I do want to get through it, but whether I actually will is a whole other thing. I, I just found myself bouncing off everything. Well, this is funny, right, Scott? Because when I was playing it last night, I already knew, of course, that you said you bounced off mm. it because of all of these uh, reasons. But when I was playing it, I was thinking, how does Scott not like this? I know. It's so strange. I asked myself this. I understand what you're saying. You know, the introduction is very different to what you might expect from your regular card builder or your mm. regular roguelike. Like, the tutorial... In for my benefit is very straightforward, very linear, very much learning you how the game works, how yeah. the rules of the card game uh, actually work, and you know the things that you are allowed to do within the player space. However, once you get through that tutorial, once you beat the first boss, and once you get killed by the second boss, mm-hmm. it becomes way more freeform for my money. Where mm-hmm. you are doing the things that you wanted to do there. You know, you you are building your deck every round. Yes. You're you're moving through the kind of like world to prioritize certain um, power-ups, certain upgrades, or maybe to replenish uh, certain items that you can use in the actual game as well. Mm-hmm. Trying to build as strong an arsenal as you possibly can to make it as far through the roguelike structure of mm-hmm. like the levels as you can. And that's what's kind of gotten me in because I had a few failed runs at the second boss last night who is absolutely demolishing me. I'm just not used to these <laughs> games at all, so I'm getting annihilated right. uh, by these bosses. But the point is, every single time I got knocked back to the beginning, I could have stopped. Mm. I didn't want to stop. I wanted to go again. You know, I wanted to build another deck. I wanted to have another go right. to use what I had um, learned on the previous run. And the fact that, like Hades, it constantly gives you new things to tinker with mm. in every run. It might introduce a new mechanic. It might introduce a new card. It might introduce a new twist on a certain thing that you thought was already uh, nailed down mm. that. It doesn't feel like you're just repeating the same motions, even though you kind of, on a base level, are. I think that's the thing you were saying about it being a, a roguelike, because I think it's, it's almost like a sub- Versive roguelike. You don't yeah. realize how much you're starting. There's even like a story scene that sort of like points out how you're going to be able to restart stuff. And I think that was one of the things that I was just like, oh, so I'm okay. Like I'm just going again and going again and going again. And I just, I've talked so much about, I, I hate bad checkpointing in games. And I get that roguelike genre is built around resetting and going again. Um, but there is sometimes that reality of, okay, I've just spent half an hour. What have I actually done? What have I actually achieved? And if the answer to that is like, well, you learned stuff. I'm like, <laughs> no, I didn't. Cause I'm back at the start. Um, I don't know, something like that. I kind of want a bit more... Sometimes roguelikes aren't for me, yeah. which is hilarious because I'm playing through Rogue Legacy 2 at the minute as well. <laughs> I'll just talk about that, but Rogue Legacy is like... Rogue Legacy in itself kicked off the whole roguelike thing um, 2014 onwards in terms of just being like a really viable game design thing um, for the mainstream. Um, and it's just interesting that Inscription has these sort of various things going for it that it's like it's got so many 10 out of 10s and 5 stars and everything um, that it just feels immaculate. I just I just need to, I guess, just brute force the start of it because I, I just wanted to hit the ground running with the deck builder Yeah. because um, I love that genre and I just want to be like, okay, let me, let me like Hand of Fate was a really good um, like version of building a deck that also duplicates as level tiles and combat mechanics and then like Hand of Fate would go from like you were dealing cards to zooming into the cards and then playing actual Arkham style combat right. based on what you doled out and say, like, well, I play the sword, therefore I pick the sword up in the level and I was like, so, so cool. And part of me kind of thought in would have more to it in that regard. Not combat necessarily, um, but something in that way. And uh, because it takes quite a while to play a turn, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, I bounced off it. But I, I do want to get back to it. Me too. I'm interested to see um, where it goes. You know, right now, like I say, early doors, only two and a half hours in. Mm. You know, and I'm enjoying it, but I am interested to see why it's getting such rave reviews. Because mm. I'm sure it's got a few more hands to play. Hey. Oy, the further I get into <laughs> the actual uh, campaign itself. So I'm excited to see what other tricks it has up its sleeve. But it's made of 
very promising start. Mm. And will it crack the top 10 by the end of the year, Scott? I don't know. I hope so. But it depends it's a very, whether you play neon white yet. It's a very competitive <laughs> top 10, like you say. It's a bit of a hell of a year in that regard. Um, I was going to say, speaking of playing hands or spending more time with the game, Pokemon Scarlet slash Violet. I can only talk about Pokemon Violet. Very good. Um, very good. But uh, that, uh, that, the. The performance of this game is unacceptable. There's no getting around that. The frame rate stuff is absolutely hilarious. The fact that if you um, quit the game and go back into it, it's, it resets the memory leak of the game. So you get the frame rate back for about an hour and then it goes away again. Um, and all the popping and all that stuff, it is abysmal. Genuinely, absolutely abysmal and unacceptable. However... I was going to say, I'm sensing a big butt <sighs> here. It, it's, not, it's, it's not unlike Sonic Frontiers, where the actual game on paper, it's better than Sonic Frontiers, like as a game. Um, all the little design choices they made um, as a video game, outside of the performance side of it, outside of the raw polish side of it, are incredible. This is one of the best Pokemon games ever made uh, on paper. Like, I mean, I've not had this much consistent fun with a Pokemon game, I was going to say, in quite a while. I loved Arceus earlier this year, but it's a stellar Pokemon game. And the way that they've fleshed out, the idea of an actual full open world Pokemon, where you're just running around, because the lead map designer, I don't know the dude's name, um, but was the guy that worked on Breath of the Wild. And there's a lot of Breath of the Wild in this, of like that lovely feeling of, I can go literally anywhere, nice. and I don't know what's next. And I don't know whether that's a township, whether a culture all to itself, um, all the different NPCs you can talk to all the different things you can buy um, or whether that's a rare Pokemon that might like help me in the next battle or whatever and also it has like three campaigns in one either you can chase down the gym badges in any order you want and you can chase down all these like uh, hyper powerful Pokemon or you can clear out these different like raids like, like raid areas because there's this evil gang called Team Star that have like taken over the area and go take them out um, and there's also like random dynamic multiplayer like you can just you can just beam some dudes in you and three randoms can just take on a really powerful Pokemon that maybe you'll be able to catch after all this cool stuff <laughs> Just so good. Like, I can't... I've not played anything else since Wednesday. Like, right. I've just, just been playing Pokemon. Like you said, the World Cup thing. Um, just World Cup's on the TV. Pokemon's in my hands. That's all I'm doing. Um, and I, I kind of love it. It's kind of great. It's just so not great because it's, like, barely running at a stable frame rate. But it's so good. That's such a shame, isn't I it? Know. The fact that it didn't have another six months of polish to get it where Ugh. it could be. Because it sounds like, you know, it's incredibly innovative from the gameplay perspective, from the world design perspective. Mm. Just, it's a classic game freak thing of it's coming out hot <laughs> and you know they'll probably never patch it up oh, dude, I, my gut says that they won't actually patch it like I right. saw that it had the biggest uh, like sales numbers in franchise history and I, I can see Nintendo just wiping the hands going like yep on to the next one like Foo Fighters style <laughs> yes I've been listening to 2003 playlist but um, still I think that um, like I said everything on paper is stellar and I can't wait to play more of it it's so immersive one of the things that I just to wrap because I'm not going to talk about forever about Pokemon but um, did you ever play Pokemon Snap or see Pokemon Snap no Pokemon Snap was like a First person shooter, uh, first person shooter, first person, you're shooting cameras. Uh, first person camera game for the N64. There's a follow up on the Switch. And because they were designing levels around being on rails, like a safari type thing, you're sort of going through these areas, they could show what it would be like if all these Pokemon just lived in this world. Yeah. Like climbing trees or fighting each other or like, you know, going for a swim or eating or like maybe there's little families of them or something. And you never really got that in the open world games. Obviously, this is the first proper open world one. Arceus did a bit of it earlier this year, but this one has like full ecosystems. They're not massively in depth. But you will see, um, like, some evolved Pokemon with, like, four little kids behind it as they're just walking around through the, the brush or whatever, um, and bugs on trees or whatever it is. It feels like a world of Pokemon, which people like me have wanted forever, and it's why Pokemon Go felt incredible in 2016. Mm -hmm. And so they're nailing that stuff when it can actually load it and show it to you. Um, so it's just that side of it is great. Um, there's also a weird side of it where, like, every little town has, um, like, it's very, like, food forward as a game. So loads of the little towns are just like, this is a, um, a dish made from all and there's a small olive Pokemon that is nearby. And I'm like, you guys are just eating all the Pokemon. That's <laughs> like, we never really addressed that in Pokemon fandom, but like this one is full on. Every single Pokemon is being devoured by the people near it. Amazing. Um, which is just a weird like reality thing of like, we eat animals, we look after animals. A lot of people are vegan for a reason, whatever. Um, but that's kind of like being addressed a bit in, in this game where last night I came across like a family of uh, Fidos, they're called little dogs. And uh, they evolve into Dash Buns. Yeah, and there was a Dash nice. Bun mum uh, with her little Fidos. And I was Dash like, Mum. Dash Mum. And I was like, I've not had, I've, I don't have a Dash Bun um, on my uh, Pokedex. And so I threw a Pokeball and I caught it. And all the little, all the little Fidos cried. Oh I just, my 
Killed them, killed them up. <laughs> and I was like, well, my Pokedex is filling out, so that's lovely. And I went back into the Pokedex and I, and I released her because I was like, I want you to go back to your family. I just need you to fill the Pokedex out. I like this. And then when you hit release, she just disappears forever. No. So they were just, they were just crying on the floor. And I was like, <laughs> I've just ruined your entire life, but my Pokedex is filling up, so it's fine. I like you walking around like Homer Simpson viewing all of these animals <laughs> and maybe even people as like hamburgers <laughs> and, you know, sausages and whatnot. Oh my God. Like that scene in, yes, when he's in the, has that chocolate dream in The Simpsons, that is this game to a T. Because <laughs> um, who cares about the ecosystem when you can just throw balls at everything and hoover everything up? Um, but yeah, it's a uh, Pokemon Violet. I'm absolutely loving. I've only got the Violet version of it, um, but it, you just have to get past that horrible hump of the performance because it is ridiculous. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think this is going to kind of fly under the radar or be excused because it has sold so well and is at its core a promising? game. Do you that's, think that's going to be enough to blanket over its uh, massive, massive <laughs> issues? Not blanket, but it's already happening. Like right. a lot of like prominent Pokemon YouTubers and, and people on social media are already saying like, yep, totally. I mean, I'm saying this right now. Totally yeah. get it. The performance is unacceptable because it is, but it's such a great game. Right. Um, and at some point you can just play it. You can have fun with it. Like it's one of those things where it's like, oh my God, don't look in the distance because nothing in the distance is rendering um, properly. And anything that needs a frame rate is just in like, it's like a stop motion thing. Um, but there's so much to enjoy and there's so much that they nail. And you can make sandwiches, you can have picnics, <laughs> you can customize your teacups, I can make an Eevee sandwich. I mean, it's like, what else do you want? Like, it's great. A lot more, but I'll let you a have lot that more, one. Yeah. A stable frame rate for the sandwich <laughs> would be nice. Um, you've also been playing a bit of the old Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 yes. Warzone 2 mode thing. How's I'm that? I'm not going to go on too much about Modern Warfare 2. I just talked at you about Warzone. Pokemon. It's feel true, but I feel like I've done nothing but talk about Modern Warfare 2 for like four <laughs> weeks now because it's I'm just living and breathing it. But yes, mm. Obviously, Warzone 2 launched um, last week or the week before. Sure. So I've been dipping in there and been dipping into the DMZ mode because, you know, Warzone 1 is maybe Scott Telford, one of my favorite games of all time. <laughs> I put so many hours into that. It all was those chicken dinners. All those chicken dinners. It was a genuine lifesaver during lockdown. Have mm. such fun memories of playing that game with the boys. Obviously, we were really, really looking forward to the new relaunch, a brand new game based on the engine of Modern Warfare 2. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to really love about it. The new map, I think, is incredible. Like, it's a rival to the original Warzone Verdansk map. It is yes. so diverse, so big, got so many great play spaces within it. It's just a joy to explore, and I obviously have barely scratched the surface of it, because mm. I've only played a handful of games um, so far, but I'm excited to drop in and search around that area even more, and hopefully get better final circle zones that aren't just the center of the map, because they <laughs> need to be more varied. But, Scott Telford, the issue is... Mm -hmm. They've made a lot of changes. This isn't just a direct continuation of Warzone. They've I was going to ask how they distinguish it. To slow things down a lot, and some of those changes I really like, and some of them I really don't. So, at the end of Warzone 1.0, like it was just full of absolute sweats who were <laughs> abusing the movement system. <laughs> You know, bunny hopping all over the place, right. cancelling out of this, Ugh. just wrecking you from every angle. And it seems like with this game, Infinity Ward has decided to slow things down, make things more, quote-unquote, realistic mm. and wait, yeah. So, for instance, now you can't uh, go through doors while you're playing up. You're much slower to play up. You uh, don't get loadouts anywhere near as fast. Obviously, a defining feature of the original Warzone. In mm. fact, you can't buy loadouts outright. You have to buy your individual custom weapons now. Okay. Or you have to do a stronghold or go find the many loadout drops that drop halfway through the, through the game. Mm -hmm. uh, they've changed a bunch of other systems, like the Gulag is now 2v2, so you actually spawn in with someone else who died, and then you'll have to fight two of the people who died, so That's it's not 1v1. As long as they haven't quit anymore. at that point, I guess. Well, yeah. yeah, this is it. I don't necessarily rate the new Gulag system, but it certainly is a change. Mm. And the most controversial thing is they've changed the uh, looting system, so it was so immediate in Warzone 1. Mm. I know you might not have played loads of it, but you can not probably loads, agree no. that you jumped in, you popped the boxes that were surrounding the area, and then you essentially just picked it up and didn't have to worry about mm. it. They've gone to a more classic battle royale system this time around where you have a backpack so you mm. can store a bunch of items and maybe even store an extra third weapon in there if you wanted to but as a result it's made looting much slower because mm. now you're constantly having to mess around in your inventory to clear space so you're having to go 
cycle through someone's backpack that you just killed and the UI is very finicky. I know you know this from Wars, uh, from Modern Warfare 2. Mm-hmm. So that area feels a lot slower, feels clunkier, in many ways feels like a step back. Like, Are I they l- trying to put off all the people who just want to run as fast as possible? Because <laughs> so. they, have to, they have to brute force even more stuff to do that. I think so. A lot of people are liking the changes because mm. it's definitely more of a classic Battle Royale system, you know, with the more scarce loadout drops. Mm. It makes ground loot more viable, you know, because not everyone's running around with the same meta weapons that they've called in from the loadout. Mm. It makes games a little bit more dynamic in that uh, area. With the backpack, it does make the give you more tactical options within the gameplay. So, say if one of my teammates died, I could store a weapon for them. I could store an armor vest for them, so when they come right. back into the field, I can like chuck that down. They can get into the game faster. In theory, cool. a lot of the changes work, and I am a big fan of. Mm. It's just in practice, it's a little bit cumbersome. Right. In considering how pristine and how individual Warzone One felt, this feels like. This almost feels like this was Warzone 1. You know what I mean? Like, the, they've kind of gone back in a little, in a, in a few areas. Yeah, it's just the weirdest thing where I'm like, if you, because they've nigh on perfected it with Warzone 1. So yeah. it's one of those things where if you are, who's it this year? It's uh, Treyarch. It's Infinity Ward this right. year, yes. So I guess it is whoever it is on a given year, but obviously it's Infinity Ward this time. It's like, they need to do something. So it's like, okay, we need, I remember that phrase that Andy Murray used for Doom Eternal when we talked about it when it came <laughs> out, and he was like, it's a subtraction by way of addition or something. Yes. Uh, where they try and do all these things that actually remove it from you will get you were closer to the perfect thing um, and it's almost like if you have an annual release of a game or you have this idea of oh my god the next Call of Duty Battle Royale thing they need to do something for that because until you said all those things I just thought it was just a, a name like a number sorry put onto you know it's more Warzone um, but it's uh, yeah it, it, whether that actually pays off is a whole other thing yeah. it's like if you've played thousands of hours of Warzone 1 you're going to immediately notice all that stuff that's it I think it will pay off in the long run I think mm. there are some changes that are controversial now that won't be in a couple of months because mm. people are just so used to Warzone 1 myself included that they seem needless but actually do add a lot to the gameplay like i said the backpack system even the slower playing does kind of add some extra level of consideration to the gunfights and stuff my big question though is that i was always drawn to warzone one because it didn't play like PUBG, it didn't play Uh, like apex legends mm. i didn't have to mess about with the inventory it was way more immediate it was way, way way more distinctive thanks to the loadout system it it was it differentiated itself in Warzone 2 mm. feels more like a battle royale game. And to some people, that will be absolutely exactly what they wanted Warzone 1 to be mm. in the first place. But for me, I like those differentiators, though. And that's what made Warzone 1, uh, you know, just, just an amazing game for mm. me personally. Because all, as we've established, all video games should be designed for me well, and me alone. If that means that they're going to be shorter and not 100 hours long. Maybe and then so. maybe we can get through something like Pentiment <laughs> at the end go. of the year, then maybe that'd be good. Um, yeah, I think I'd, I'll, I would give Warzone 2 a shot. Um, I still have Modern Warfare 2 installed. I'm just, I'm still just the biggest simp when it comes to modern warfare give me the give, I don't even know the guns give me the assault <laughs> rifle the fast one and put me in a map and I'll shoot the men I don't know what else there is there is lots more Scott Apparently, but you know what if you want the M4 and you want to go you could just do that you know you, I'm, I'm going to allow you to live on this do one. you remember when um, you were trying to teach your dad how to use emails and yeah. you were sort of this is how you attach this is how you type it here and then make sure you put in a CC put someone else and they'll tap out at a very and go I don't know you know I can't keep up with this that's my thoughts on all the UI stuff in Modern Warfare 2 I wish I knew all of it but oh, I can't get any of it this is it man this is this is why I understand it because I'm <laughs> the same about deck builder games it seems in any card game in general you know, sometimes you just have those things where you're like, my brain is just, it doesn't want to, it doesn't want to comprehend well, this. Uh, I, I just, I try with Modern Warfare 2 because I, <laughs> I just, I can't get it. I, I load the game up and I go on the main menu. Like, right, fine. I want to know what everyone's talking about. Where are these little missions? Where are these little things of like kill 10 of this and 10 of that? I can't find them, Josh. I've tried so much. I brought up like a little branching path thing. Yeah. And I was like, is this it? It didn't tell. I don't, I can't, I don't know what it is. I can't. Listen, we've had so many conversations I about know. this both on on mic and off mic, and I, I can't do it anymore. Just you go on the camouflage page, and if you can't find it there, you're gonna have. To, I'll write you a guide. Okay, I'll get you a guide. I might I, have to pay you to sit down next to me and just point at the right stuff. Yeah, because I'm so lost in this game. That's why I keep just shooting the men over and over again. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about some new stuff because um, there are some breaking news headlines doing the rounds. One is a new AAA video game in the Alien franchise. This comes from Insider Gaming, um, put together by uh, Tom Henderson. Um, this is apparently developed by Grasshopper Manufacture, what? which is a 
fascinating choice for an alien game because that Suda51 studio uh, responsible for No More Heroes, Let It Die, Killer 7, Lollipop Chainsaw, mm-hmm. um, James Gunn's game. We'll get more, to more James Gunn stuff uh, in, the, in a little bit. Um, but yeah, apparently, according to the write-up, it will take inspiration from franchises including Dead Space and Resident Evil. Um, what the hell do you even envision for a Suda51 alien game? I don't know, but if they're taking inspiration from Resident Evil and Dead Space, I would love a third-person survival yeah. horror game set on a space station where there are aliens running amok. Mm-hmm. If you can kind of... It's kind of weird that they haven't done a survival horror game in that vein within no. the Aliens universe. They've mm-hmm. either been, you know, outright action shooters like Aliens Fireteam Elite fire team, or, yeah. you know, more atmospheric first-person horror driven games mm. like, you know, Alien Isolation, mm-hmm. famously. But if we go for, like, the more third-person over-the-shoulder, third-person survival horror experience, <laughs> yeah, I could be up for that. Like a slow-burn thing where you've got to find ways to... T- I mean, that's the thing. It's like whether it's going down the alien route or the alien's route. Yeah. Um, I kind of want alien, although I don't know how you really do much gameplay in that regard, because I guess you'd be trying to figure out ways to take on one specific creature. I think... Um, it's worth throwing in super quick as well that in here, as part of the same report, um, Alien Isolation 2 is mentioned as being in production um, or at the pitching stage, but either way, it's moving forward. Um, but the report doesn't say whether it is a Creative Assembly developing again. But the idea is we're still going to get a first-person Alien Isolation, so this other thing can be whatever else. It would be incredibly on-brand for the Alien franchise to um, try to do with Dead Space right now. Because mm-hmm. when we look at the first Alien Isolation, that was a first-person horror game yeah. at a time when first-person horror games were incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. You know, Then we got Aliens Fireteam Elite at a time where the industry was focused on like these four-player multiplayer shooters, mm-hmm. at least in uh, airspace. And mm-hmm. now the fact that we're getting, you know, the dead. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates Fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Space remake. We're getting, we've just had Resident Evil 2. We've had Resident Evil 3. We've even had a third person mod for Resident Evil 8. We've got Callisto Protocol coming up. We've got all of these third person survival horror games that are, very in vogue right now. Mm. It would make a lot of sense to me that Sega or whoever is looking at that and saying, we could have one of those. <laughs> make an alien version of that. And you know what? Okay. Well, it okay. seems like that uh, Dark Descent is kind of them going like, Diablo 4 is going to be really big next year. We should probably do a top-down squad thing yeah. um, to, to get in on that. But yeah, I hope they um, come up with... Because I'm hoping that Suda51, when given the alien IP, can think of cool ways to interact with the Xenos themselves. I don't want another horde enemy that just leaves pools of poison everywhere because we've had a million alien games like that and none of them were that fun to play. No. Like, you know, the, the last time we sort of did anything third-person shootery for um, Alien was probably the AVP games, where if you played as the humans and on the older ones, um, you know, you could sort of like have fun with that. But still, I kind of want more innovative ways to deal with xenomorphs. I don't know what they are, 
But I don't know how you make a whole game around an invulnerable enemy. Honestly, but, yeah. I, I would just rip off Dead Space. I would mm. have, like, trying to detach their limbs, making sure they don't get too close, because obviously they will annihilate you. That's and if shout. you shoot them too close, they will hit you with their acid blood. I think the idea of, like, having a lot of enemies, but mm. having only maybe two or three at a time that you have to deal with and not allow them to get close, I think that just makes a lot of sense mm. from a survival horror perspective. And like I said, Dead, Sp- Dead Space's necromorphs already have a lot of the uh, same sensibilities as the xenomorph, you mm. know, the idea that they're these creatures that can get all over. They can be on the ceiling, they can be crawling at you, they can be <laughs> anywhere, they're fast, they're agile, and you have to keep them at a distance and you have to take off their limbs and make sure you hit your shots, otherwise you're in danger. I think they should bring in, um, <laughs> you, you, you will have seen Aliens vs. Predator, the, the first one, not oh, yeah. Requiem. Um, I forgot you call the main character in that, but she makes a suit of armor, or the Predator helps make her a suit of armor out of like an alien head yes. and like a spear. Um, I hope Suda goes down that route because you've got lots of over the top action games in his his catalog in Grasshopper Manufacturer's uh, back catalog do something where we are killing Xenomorphs we're doing something to build or, or use their parts oh, that would be to unreal. get through like some sort of alien head shield thing um, or using the asset against them somehow I don't know make it happen I want to be able to do exactly what you just mentioned mm. there I want to decapitate a Xenomorph <laughs> And gut their head somehow and use their skull as a, like a punching glove and a punching glove that can then deflect the acid Ooh. so you can get up close and personal. Maybe hold, I'm, I'm doing it right now. I'm holding my Xenomorph yeah. head up and I'm spearing an alien. How has that not been done? You remember that game, the cancelled alien game? Oh my God, maybe it's this, that cancelled medieval alien game. Yes. That would have been great. That whole what idea, of, like if, if Prey proved anything, it was that you could just inject a predator into an old school, a very different um, settings or whatever. Maybe you can just inject a xenomorph into something as well. Yeah. Um, and see a whole, because there was a whole cancelled medieval alien game at one point. I forget who was attached to that. Um, but maybe in wake of prey, absolutely flying and being the movie of the year. Mm. Maybe that's meant that this kind of thing then got revisited and was like, maybe we should do this as a video game. Listen, and give it to Suda51. Well, here's the thing, right? For as much as we can speculate mm. and for as much as a we lot. can get, you know, excited about what may happen, it's going to be a bad game. You know, it's going to be a bad game. It's an alien game. What do you mean? It's an alien game. In isolation. Oh, one game. Yeah. Almost 10 years ago. AVP was great too. It was all right. It the, was a the, seven the out of 10 game. The top down strategy one. Oh. And then also the shooter one. The shooter really one good. I enjoyed. They're really good at stretching it. Yeah. I would say they are, to be generous, they are hit and miss. With the, the Rebellion 2009 franchise. one is worse, but the original AVP games are like goats. They're yes. Like the, yeah, they're great. And when do they come out? I, I mean, almost before you were born. Precisely. That's what I'm saying. You know, there are there is there are great games, yes. but I'm never ever in my life going to count on an alien game being no. good until I have it in my hands. It's not to say it's impossible. It's not to say it can't happen. Because, like mm-hmm. you said, there there have been examples in the past. But for as much as we can get excited on this podcast. I am not going to necessarily get excited about the game itself until I know it's good because just this year we saw the trailer for the latest Alien game, which, like you said, is this top-down isometric dungeon crawler. And the cinematic trailer for that looked so sick Mm. and then it was revealed to look (laughs) nothing like the actual gameplay. It was like I was watching a mobile game. We might have to do uh, a list on sort of like 10, oh my God, oh, moments (laughs) in trailers because, yeah, that was the exact response for that thing. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, at least we're getting, at, we are at least getting two new Alien games. One AAA thing from Grasshopper Manufacturer and assumedly Alien Isolation 2 or whatever the hell the sequel to, whatever Creative Assembly want to do next if they're attached to the project. Next news item down, I spoke of game, J- Games Gun. I spoke good. of James Gunn before. Um, the new head of, what's his new title? He's like head of DC everything. Yeah, essentially. That's, that's yeah. what we'll call him. Um, you know, obviously director Core of Guardians head. of the Galaxy. I think he's doing it with someone else, but mm. yes, he is in charge. He's calling some shots. Yeah. And uh, James Gunn was answering a few people on Twitter who were asking, or he was tweeting out the idea of, you know, going forward, all the DC movies, your superhero, uh, your Supermans, your Batmans, whatever, going forward, the DC universe will be connected across film, TV, animation, and someone said, and video games? And he said, yes. Um, so, like I say, he didn't really elaborate, um, but it just kind of was this talking point of what kind of games are we going to get? How much have they messed up the last 10 years in regards to tying in anything with that whole run of DC movies that we got? Um, and then taking stock of the fact that we do still have Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League to come, and Monolith's Wonder Woman, which I forgot was a thing. Yeah. However, 
It's insane that Monolith only had two games in the last eight years. Like, you had um, Shadow of Mordor, which was, like, clearly the best game of 2014 after, like, PT, and then Shadow of War, which was just savaged by microtransactions in 2017, and that's it. Yeah. Like, Warner Brothers are a horrific manager of uh, video game studios. They are, which is why this news is a bit of a double-edged yeah. sword to me, because I think since the AT&T takeover... What was AT&T, right? It was sure. over. No, it was Discovery. Sorry, that's entirely... AT&T was a previous takeover. Yes, okay. since the merger between Discovery and Warner Brothers, who are now called Warner Brothers Discovery, <laughs> I think the Warner Brothers uh, brand has just been poisoned. Mm. Like, the changes they've made, famously canning Batgirl, even though it was yeah. completed, you know, messing up a lot of the pipelines for their movies, pissing off a load of creators, <laughs> uh, you know, writing movies off just to gain some tax uh, dollars, allegedly. All, that, yeah. All of that is exceptionally bad. However, WB's gaming industry for the past 10 years was already <laughs> terrible oh, anyway. Yeah. You know, we've had a good few games. You know, the Mortal Kombat games have been incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, but by and large, why haven't we seen more DC games so far? Why did it take so many different cancelled games until WB Montreal got around to making Gotham Knights? Like that, to me, is an outsider. That entire wing of the industry has been in shambles for the past decade. Like you said, mm. why is Monolith only released two games in the past eight years or whatever I think, it is? I mean, the whole conversation around superhero video games across the last 10 years, I mean, obviously it was a big deal when Spidey finally arrived in 2018, I think yeah. that's what that was. Um, we didn't hardly have any tie-in games to any of the, there was a whole rollout of the, the biggest parts of the MCU, didn't have any tie-in games for any of that stuff, other than like an Iron Man game on mobile, but I'm barely counting them. In fact, I'm not counting them, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, we, they barely got in on that. And same on the DC side, whereas if you go even the decade prior, nearly every major game that was coming out even the original uh, phase one mcu games had tie-in games and obviously if you do like batman begins or whatever you had a game that went alongside it um, i get the marketing reality of back then just having a game as just part of the marketing rollout it's like you have a certain budget you give it to a studio and they just put something out alongside it but i do miss that i think that it's really effective and i'm curious what what level of production they want to do with this um you know do they want to aim for like an arkham style thing are they trying to aim for like spidey and playstation first party like I don't know, like the superhero space is kind of untapped in that regard. This is where the double-edged sword thing mm. that I mentioned earlier comes in for me personally, because do I think they were doing a good job with DC games <laughs> before the takeover? No. Mm. Do I trust the new owners and the new creatives to do DC games justice? No. no. I worry that it's going to be exactly what you said, cheaper tie-ins to mm. the movies that are afterthoughts and are not these big Arkham-style productions, that are not these big 2018 Spider-Man mm. productions. That's what I fear. I think as well, I mean, I'm, I'm so checked out on superhero cinema, So I, but I, and I feel like a lot of people are. I feel like there's just an exhaustion to it. Um, I've, I've just looked at my notes and realized that I didn't do your Pokemon quiz. We'll get there. You didn't. We'll do a little Pokemon quiz. We'll get there. Uh, very quickly. But um, yeah, I feel like I'm so checked out on that stuff. And I'm just like, what's really going to garner attention in the video game space that ties into the state of the DC movies? Like, yeah, people like Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Yeah, it's kind of, it's fine that Henry Cavill's going back as Superman. Like, Ooh. it's fine. Like, he's a great, he'll be great at it, but it's done, man. It was 10 years ago. Like, let's go do it all again because we messed it up so much. It's like, what the hell is the momentum there? Like, there's just nothing there. It's interesting this, right? Because I Batman doesn't even got have, doesn't even have anybody. I don't agree that the superhero genre is done. Yes, mm. it might have fatigued a little bit, but you know, I saw nothing but like a massive amounts of excitement for Henry Cavill coming back as Superman. Yeah, yeah. But Batman just made you know hundreds of million dollars earlier this year and was really well received. You know. Aquaman, Aquaman 1 made over a billion dollars. That was a few years ago, but we're getting a sequel for that. Mm -hmm. um, I still think there's a lot of you know desire for DC movies in particular because they are seemingly putting things in place that mm. people want to see. People want to see Henry Cavill as Superman. I yeah. wouldn't say it's done necessarily. Black Adam did stuff. Black Adam did stuff, but yeah. it wasn't a great film necessarily. You know, We've got Michael Keaton back as Batman. We've got Ben Affleck back as Batman. We've got <laughs> Robert Pattinson back as Batman. We've got a lot of projects in the works, yes. and it's like, I don't think it's dead yet. I think there are ways that a gaming industry could tie into what DC has planned. Like, mm. I would love a game set in the Batman universe. You know, if you do or the new Arkham Batman style, one. Yeah. Matt Reeves, yeah. If you do an Arkham style, you know, game set within that universe with Robert Patton's Robert Pattinson's Batman. Like, mm. I think that would be incredibly sick and they are branching that universe out to a multimedia thing with the Penguin TV show, for instance. So why not? <laughs> 
get a proper tie-in <laughs> yeah. for that. I don't know. I just think whilst whilst yes, the they might have missed the boat for the peak popularity a decade ago, like mm. you mentioned there. I still think there's a uh, gas in the tank. I so think for speak. me, um, the reason I reacted a lot and said like, oh, like where the hell's the momentum and stuff is that honestly, I barely count the new Batman as part of the DCU. I think it's like they have they said that Penguin show is coming, but I feel like there's so much mixed messaging around like what is the main timeline, what is the main thing we're moving forward with. Um, and what will Henry Cavill's Superman be or whatever? And it's like we, we attempted a bunch of stuff. We did Justice League. We did the director's cut. Like we've, we've run through all those weird bumps in the road. And now it's this attempt of sort of like wiping the slate clean and like starting again with James Gunn at the helm of stuff. Because yeah. WB have wanted a Kevin Feige for so long and assumedly it'll be gone. Um, but yeah, it was just that thing of like, what are we... It's, oh, everything's going to be connected going forward. And it's like, okay, but... From what? Like, from nothing? I think I think WB's in a really interesting position, especially mm. if they do kind of, which they are, you know, striving forward with an interconnected universe, because they almost have their cake and eat it too. They are going to, you know, try to put more focus on their cinematic universe going forward. Mm. But then, like you said, you know, we do have these offshoots. We do have the Batman. We do have Joker, and Joker 2 is going to come out as well. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like those offshoots are just as interesting and just as successful you know, Batman, like I said, made a lot of money. Joker made over a billion dollars. Yeah. I don't think an audience even necessarily um, needs a core cinematic universe for those DC movies and those properties to be successful. Yes, no, I mean, it would be nice to have, but um, I think those other successes that I mentioned there proves that they're not asked if something doesn't fully line up or something well, doesn't no, make I, full sense in terms of internal continuity. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Because he's taking, t- saying that everything will be connected going forward. However, the biggest success is everything that you've said are one-offs. Like, and, and they are better off relying on the character rather than the idea of a connected universe. If anything, the idea of a connected universe has gotten so tiresome. If you look at the likes of Marvel, trying to keep up with everything and what does everything mean for everything else? Um, that's the thing that I, it's almost like they'd be better because the response to this was quite mixed. It was people just sort of saying like, we got the Arkham games because they weren't connected to anything. Um, and like even the new Spidey or whatever, it's like they're stronger without this idea of having to tie into stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I wonder which way they play it because um, it's not like the idea of more Batman games would be cool. I'd love a Robert Pattinson Batman game. I'd love like LA noir-style uh, Batman game. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious whether they still want to try and do the connected universe stuff or whether that ship has sailed. And it's like that idea of like, we're going to connect it even more stuff. And I'm yeah. just like, you won't be able to make that work uh, in a satisfying way because all the production schedules per medium are so different. 100%. And I, re- I really hope this doesn't mean that every game, every DC game <laughs> that we get going forward will be connected to the movies or mm. some other part of the cinematic universe because I just think that's a shame because mm. like, you said, you know, you can get great original stories about superheroes told in this medium mm. that, you know, are allowed to breathe, that are allowed to compete with the, their movie counterparts. You know, I we talk about Spider-Man all the time, mm. but that was so successful because it gave us a version of Spider-Man that we haven't been permitted to see in the cinematic landscape. Like, we've never seen, really, like a grown-up Peter Parker who no. has this history already, who's already dealt with some of his most iconic foes and we're picking up later on in the timeline. Mm. You know, Marvel in the comics famously is obsessed with keeping Peter Parker as much of a clean slate. And Brainwashing him and everything. Yeah, yeah. rooted in his original um, characterization as possible. Like, mm. he can't have a marriage. you got to get rid of that, you know. <laughs> he can't be a business, successful businessman. He's got to be living in poverty all the time. And yes, I'm not saying those stories that did advance the character were good, but mm. the in-game form, I do think those characters are allowed to stretch their wings a little bit more mm. and maybe take more creative risks with the characterization and the worlds that they occupy. So yeah. I don't want to get rid of that in full with this uh, takeover. No, and I think it's like that whole thing for Spidey as well. It's like the reason, one of the reasons the 2018 game did so well was because it felt like the old animated show where it was just like, this is a really good age for him. It's like university age Parker or whatever with various like trials and tribulations that go alongside that, mixing it with Spidey. Um, yeah, I think that there's a there's a way to do it in regards to like, I don't know, just making a story in a world that people want to check in on. I'm reminded a little bit of what Callisto is trying to do and um, which we were talking about before recording where they have a comic series and a podcast and they have the game and it's like everything is this one big shared thing um, because assumedly they want to flesh Callisto out into be a whole Callisto protocol into a whole like multimedia thing. Um, final news story is Splinter Cell stuff. Now there's been a weird concerted effort by Ubisoft to really try and make people care about Splinter Cell again, um, which is interesting. It is the game's uh, 20th anniversary right now, so they put a 20th anniversary documentary out on the Ubisoft channel, and that was also mirrored on like Gamespot and stuff. But it's like a half hour long thing. Um, there's also an eight part BBC radio show. It's so weird. So weird. Um, starring 
having Andonis Anthony um, from I thought well, his shows now. People will know who Andonis Anthony is. Um, he's playing Sam, and there's also a Netflix show coming up, which we knew was coming. Um, but it feels like they've made these various you know inroads to try and remind people what Splinter Cell is. Um, and just you know the the BBC radio show says that it'll follow Sam Fisher on a new mission, recruiting and training the next generation of Splinter Cell operatives for the NSA's covert uh, action division. Um, he says one of the uh, lethal assassin from Fisher's past returns from the dead on a mission of murder, and he's thrust into a race against time as a sinister threat to global security is revealed. Um, I, maybe they're bringing back Shetland. Maybe, maybe they're bringing back Douglas Shetland from Pandora tomorrow um, to do something like that. But the whole thing with this, obviously there's the Splinter Cell remake next year as well. I just, I think it's kind of fascinating trying to, like, you know, you've got this old banger of a car, this old chassis that is largely defunct and that has just been left aside by Ubisoft. They All those mechanics were told to work on different things and this car has just been a chassis for like 15 years. It's, well, since uh, nine years, since 2013 for Blackout yeah. um, or Blacklist. Um, and it's like going back to that and sort of putting the oil back in and touching it up a little bit and trying to, oh, hey, look over here, look, we're getting it, we're working again. And I just, all the documentary stuff, as much as I adore Splinter Cell, was so rooted in oh my God, we're old. And this is 20 years. The documentary opens on people on a round table going like, I remember when I first played it and what a big deal it was to have lightning in video games and then you use the shadows to do things. And every bit of it is just so old that I, it's not that I don't want more Splinter Cell, but at the same time, you can't treat it like this really old dinosaur 20th anniversary thing and also be like, but it's brand new and it's on Netflix and we're writing it for a modern audience. And it's right. like, what, do you do? what are you doing? I don't know, Scott Selford. I really, really laughed at a comment on Reddit uh, <laughs> in response to this um, BBC uh, podcast mm. where someone essentially wrote, you know, <laughs> another finger curls on the monkey's paw because every time we want more Splinter Cell stuff, we get it in the weirdest form yeah. ever, whether, whether it's a cameo from Sam Fisher in another game, whether it's this podcast, whether it's the Netflix show. Well, he was a character called Zero. <laughs> yes, when he didn't even get to be called by his name. Um, and it's just, a, like you said, you know, it's a strange situation yeah. to be in with this franchise in particular. I do hope that there is some light at the end of the tunnel and mm. they can revitalize this franchise for a new audience. Mm. I do have my fingers crossed for this upcoming remake to, you know, finally put Sam Fisher in the limelight and not just have his name and the brand dragged through these weird multimedia like ventures. Squad. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> like that. Um, you know, I'm not against, I'm not saying that this podcast is going to be bad. It no. sounds like it's got some, you know, really interesting cast members involved, like some quality there in mm. terms of the performers at the very least. I'm not sure who's writing it, but maybe that translates to the writing team as well. Mm. They're interesting projects, just I don't think they're the projects that any Split Cell fan necessarily wants to see. And I'm interested by your idea that maybe we just should let this thing, you know, go. Maybe if we're going to rely on nostalgia so heavily, mm. maybe it's better to do something new if all this franchise is allowed to be is a, do you remember this? Well, that's the thing. And like the, the documentary opens on that music that's like, dun, 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 dun. it's like that old theme that you wouldn't know if you heard it. And I feel like it's, the thing is like, I don't want to be this like, this ungrateful person because I get that for the longest time we've wanted more Splinter Cell. And I do actually really think that the amount of money they're clearly putting into this right now is to be commended. Like I think that the fact that they've gone out of their way to do um, like the documentary, a radio show, a Netflix show, that's way more than they've done for like Beyond Good and Evil or even like Rayman or something. Like there's Rayman DLC in the new Mario, but other than that, you wouldn't even know he existed mm -hmm. um, for a new generation especially. And I quite like, it's on paper. I get that like maybe all their various metrics are just saying, these are where you plant the seeds to, to revive a franchise overall. And you need the Netflix audience and you need the radio audience and, you, and you're crossing so many generations because you're going back 20 years. And there's not been, you know, Chaos Theory was 2006. So it's like, that's like the best one in the series or whatever. Um, you've got to pull from pretty far back to like to remind people whilst also telling them it's a new thing yeah. um, and that it's worth paying attention to and it's not just for their dads. Like there's a way <laughs> to sort of try and do that. Um, not that you can't make something just for the dads either, but I think they're trying to walk that line um, and revitalize it. And like there was, a, there was some comment about it being written for a modern audience. And I'm, I'm interested what that turns into yeah. because the version of Sam that's in um, Rainbow Six Siege, like I said, he's called Zero and he doesn't really feel like Ironside. It's not voiced by Ironside either, but it doesn't feel like his writing. And also the version of Sam that's in the Ghost Recon DLCs um, is way more like a Ghost Recon character. He doesn't really feel like Sam. He's not really like sardonic. He doesn't really have like a wry sense of humor and thing. He just he's just like a, a brutal killer who can take on four dudes at once and mm. whatever. And it's like 
yeah, that's one part of him, but like there's a whole other personality there that Ironside helped write that you almost need him as a as a consultant or something before you do the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, I hope they manage to retain that element yeah. of the character because like you said, you know, that performance in particular is so iconic, such a part of the appeal of that franchise to the point where even when they make a game, a great game in Blacklist because you don't have Ironside there, <laughs> it feels like something's missing. It feels like totally. the franchise has been gone for longer than it has been mm. because you recognize or you associate that character so much with the writing of the character and the performance of the character. Mm. And when that gets lost, does it just become a more generic franchise? Does it become, does it even warrant the Splinter Cell name anymore? I don't know. Well, I'm the Ghost Recon DLCs felt really generic. I mean, it, was, it was cool seeing Sam, but like, yeah, the way he was talking the missions that you did, it just felt like generic badass man who's like doing a chokehold with one god while he shoots three other guys or whatever. And it was like, it's a nice idea. All of this is a nice idea. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious what happens next. All of this is laying the table for assumedly the next real Splinter Cell. And what that looks like from Ubisoft in 2023 or 4 or 5, that's fascinating because they haven't made a game even close to this in like in a long time, nine years. I'm honestly pleased that the next Splinter Cell game is a remake. I've gone yeah. back and forward on this since it was announced this time last okay. year because uh, I didn't know whether, I didn't, initially I was like, why give us a remake? Give us something new, you mm. know, innovate in this franchise. But now, like you said, uh, Ubisoft doesn't make games just for dads. Everything is, <laughs> you know, all or nothing with them. They're yeah. a AAA studio. They want to get the widest audience possible. And I would fear that if they did do Splinter Cell now, we've talked about this before on news videos and podcasts or whatever, mm. that they would dilute it to the point where it just becomes another generic Ubisoft, probably open world title. Mm. Whereas with a remake, hopefully, fingers crossed, they are able to be more faithful. Maybe it is a little bit smaller scale with mm. smaller expectations. Maybe that allows the team to create a authentic Splinter Cell experience in the way that they wouldn't be able to if they were given $50 million and said, <laughs> you know, make us $500 million. You yeah, know, that's have true. to sacrifice some of its identity to do that. Mm. I don't know. Well, a lot of the interviews are with the team members are saying, because they lost the original games director for the remake, so someone else has, like, stepped in. Um, but they said they're taking influence from Hitman, which is interesting mm. because Hitman's whole approach to stealth was completely different to Splinter Cells. Like, Splinter Cells was focused and specific and corridor-based and, like, facilities that you were going into, whereas Hitman was bigger and more sandboxy and like ways to make things combine with other things in terms of NPCs or environments or whatever. So I'm curious what the hell Splinter... Like I said, I'm just curious what Splinter Cell is in the modern day. I like that the idea of the original gives them a template to aim for, but then how much you're reimagining those levels, how much is it different animation sets from the ground up. I mean, even like a base melee attack in the original Splinter Cell was terrible. It was that stupid elbow that he had to do twice yeah. to even do anything to a guard. Um, and so I wonder if they're adding way more animations in, are they bringing in the split jump, like make it, do that more effectively like you could in Spin Chaos Theory. There's a lot of potential. Um, I also think the stealth genre is just in a weird space where like the only stealth game you can even point to is like Playtale or maybe the Sticks games. Like there's yeah. very, very little that are dedicated stealth games. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I want to end though on a Pokemon quiz. Come on then. Because I should have done this before. Um, I wanted to write down, or I did write down, um, because a lot of Pokemon names getting dumb, getting ridiculous. I'm going to make a confession, Scott yes. but I could probably name you out at most, 50 Pokemon. And that's I think good. that's been generous. That's more than Pikachu and Charizard, which is what most people could do, that's I true. think. I know that Bulbasaur lad, he's there all right. Chara, oh. wait, Charmander. There you go. There you go. Do you know the one that's in between? Charmander uh, becomes ch something. Chi-chi-chi-cha-cha-chi-chi-chi-chi-chi. Dragon Ball? Dragon Ball? I don't. I'm not even going to pretend, no. Charmander becomes Charmeleon becomes Charizard. But that's some 1996 knowledge. What we're going for now are the new Pokemon in the newest game in Scarlet and Violet. Because a lot some of these names are brilliant. Some of these names are terrible. And I wanted to just... I've got five sets of three. I'm going to read you three names. You're going to tell me which one is you think is the real name. Two of them are made up to close this podcast out. So your first set of three, which of these is the real Real Pokemon, Frigibax, Wackalots, or Weedabix. <laughs> Weedabix. <laughs> I'm giving you an easy one for the start. Thank you. In theory, uh, in theory I mean, c can you say the first two again? It is either Frigibax or Wackalots. Come on, man. I honestly don't know. <laughs> um, I'm going to go Wackalots. I'm going to change my mind. Oh, you were so close. No! It was Frigibax. I thought that was almost too much. For no reason. Face. Your next set of three are oh. Le Pork, Le Beef, or Le Chunk. <laughs> 
<laughs> you were just embarrassing me at the end of this podcast now. Um, Le Porc, Le <laughs> Snoozy Le Porc. Uh, it is Le Chonk, so you are close, but too far. Next oh. set of three. Nyaum, Varum, or Brubber. You're just making things up now. You're not wrong. Is 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 Brubber, if that one is real? And I'm not going to say that's my answer. Burnt Rubber. Related to Flubber, the great Robin Williams uh, children's comedy. That's how official this name is. That's so true. So it's Nyaum. It is Nyaum, Varum, or Brubber. Teesside tinted over here. <laughs> uh, um, it's gonna be no. I think this is a trick question. I think you trick only one of the I three is real. You're tricking me here okay. in making me want to choose the last one because right. that seems like the most legitimate. But okay. I'm gonna say, and I might get three wrong with this one. But uh-huh. is it? Vroom. It is Varum. Yes! I made up Barubber because I thought Burnt Rubber would be the name they would go for for some sort of uh, Pokemon in that uh, in that vein. You almost got me there. I you was so really close. almost got me. Next set of three, Buttstorm, Belly Bolt, or Light Ninja. That can't be right. Light that, Ninja. Light, um, was it Butt Bolt? Buttstorm, or? Belly Bolt, or Light Ninja. It's got, uh, you, you, you're emphasizing that last one so much Ninja. that I think I'm going to go for it. The last I, one. I've got you, Hoopland and Singer. It's Belly Bolt. Is it? You were so close. I wouldn't, so far. Have, I wouldn't have gone for that. I, if they ever use Light Ninja, then you heard that here first. Last three Flamingon, Flamigo, or Flamago with just one M. I honestly feel like I'm dying. I feel like <laughs> I'm in a prison of my own mind. <laughs> Flamingon, Flamigo, or Flamigo? I, want, I hope it's Flamingon. I'm going to go Flamingon. I think it's- it is Flamigo. <laughs> they called a Flamingo Pokemon that looks like a Flamingo, just Flamigo. <laughs> That's where we're at in 2022 with the Pokemon franchise. They really should have called one of them Flamingon when you've like evolved yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anything, anything would have been good than just Flamingo. It was like <laughs> we started with Seal back in 1996 and we've got as far as Flamigo. Good. Anyway, this has been the wind up. I've been Scott Taylor, but you've been Josh Brown. Uh, I would usually say it's a pleasure, but I don't. <laughs> Know anymore, but thanks for having me, Scott Tilford. Meowm, and we'll catch you next week. Meowm. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.